Hey, let's celebrate being in church together this morning. Everybody, welcome. We're so glad you're with us, Church Online family. We love you as well. Let us know in the chat where you're watching from. And it is the Christmas season, y'all. We're so excited. We are beginning a a series today uh, called A Deeper Life Through Joy. And I just, in the room and online, you can use some emojis. But uh, who here could use some more joy in their life right now, all right? Yeah, like everybody in the room, rest of y'all are lying if you didn't raise your hands in church. We all need a little bit more joy, and we'll get into that in a minute, but I want to give you a reason for joy. So last week we had Compassion Week, which was awesome. Uh, Loved it, loved our time together just talking about the impact uh, we get to make in Peru and around the world. And we set a goal of sponsoring 400 children, and I'm here today to tell you, you didn't sponsor 400 children You sponsored 459 children, y'all. Come on. Let's give it up for Jesus today. That's so good. Oh, my goodness. I was just overwhelmed, uh, man, just with the generosity in the room. I I heard many of you were like, I didn't plan on sponsoring a kid, but then I did. And I get it. I get it. Sometimes God just speaks to you, and and we take that step together. And uh, that means we're sponsoring as a church family over 1,000 children, an army of children. Their lives are changed forever because you are being generous and living with open hands. And I just, I I believe this with my whole, whole heart. This may be the most significant thing we do as a church. I told our staff this week, yeah, I told our staff this week, if we only existed to do this work, it would be a reason to exist. If all, we, all year long we did everything, ministries and, and uh, opening the doors of this building and services and, and, and groups, if we did it all just so that we could sponsor those thousand children, man, it would, make, it, it would be worth it. And so I'm just so thankful to be part of a generous church family. And I just want to tell you this, Christmas is coming too. Uh, we have six Christmas Eve gatherings that we're doing this year. We're trying to make room for our whole community to come in the doors. And so uh, we're actually doing two on the 23rd and then four on the 24th. And so I want to encourage you, if you're an ACF person, man, if, you, if you're here every week and this is your church home, would you move away from those evening services on the 24th? That's just my public service announcement. Uh, likely those will be the most busy services. So if you can come on the morning on the 24th or the 23rd, we would appreciate that. That's just going to help kind of spread people out a little bit. Also, as was said earlier, it's baptism week. And so if you're here today and you've never been baptized, we have this tank on the stage. And we would love to baptize you at the end of this service. And uh, I know some of you weren't ready, right? You didn't come to church ready, and so we'll make you ready. We have t-shirts and shorts and all the things you could possibly need. And if you uh, have made Jesus the Lord and leader of your life, I want to encourage you to take that next step. That's uh, what the Bible says is that everybody should be baptized. Like this is uh, the call of every believer. Jesus was baptized, and we say this a lot, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you, right? To take that next step. And so uh, I want to encourage you to do that. Sometimes we feel like our, our faith isn't growing, and maybe you made an internal decision. But I want you to know that like a faith that's only internal is a faith that's, uh, it, it can be a very weak faith. It can be a faith that's uh, very susceptible to being drawn away from God. And so we need a community around us, and we need to go public with our faith. And I want to encourage you to do that at any point of the service. You can walk back to the lobby, find someone with a lanyard on, and they'll get you everything you need for that. So lots of stuff going on, lots of things to celebrate together. But I want to talk about joy today. And I want you to just consider what gives you joy what is it that just fills your heart with joy? I, I just have some, some very practical answers, some natural answers for you. The first thing is my family. My family brings me 
a ton of joy. And uh, I'm grateful for the days I get to go, come home after a long day of work and be with my family. Uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity I have to lead my family, to serve my family. And uh, they are a gift to me. Also, just specifically, my wife gives me joy. Uh, we have a picture uh, from a couple summers ago. Yeah, this is a, this is like our marriage in a photo. This is our, here's my wife. We're up in Hatcher Pass. She's coming over some, you know, some berm of dirt, and she's about to roll the four-wheeler. She's having a blast, and I'm freaking out trying to go save her life. And, and this is kind of, this happens a lot where, is there anybody in your life that has too much joy? You ever get just like, hey, you're just overdoing it a little bit with joy. Uh, and it, Amanda is such a joyful person, and she's full of so much joy. And I, I love that about her. And, and what I remember in this photo, honestly, in this moment was I was a little frustrated. I was kind of scared. I'm like, what are you doing? I can hear her laughing in the room. I'm like, what are you doing? And I want you to just consider what is it that then steals your joy? They're the things that give you joy, but what is it that steals your joy, and why is joy sometimes so difficult to hold on to? Now, we're going to talk about this throughout the next few weeks, and what I want you to know is this. Um, this conversation is not a trivial conversation. There might be a temptation in the room, if you've been in the church for a long time, or if you've got some real practical problems in your life, you're like, Brian, can you just focus in on something a little more important here? You know, like how to, how to raise my children or how to stay married in this struggle that I'm going through. I want you to know maybe joy is the answer to your problems. Maybe it's the joy of, of God that's going to impact all these different areas of your life. I truly believe that's the case. Uh, John 10.10 10 says this. This is our root passage for our entire year talking about the deeper life. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the, the, the abundant life is the full life. It's the deep life that Jesus invites us into. And the thief, the enemy, steals that life from us. When did the enemy steal your joy? How is the enemy currently trying to take away your joy? You see, the deep life is a full, abundant life, full and abundant with joy. Now, when you think of Christians, do you think of joy? When the world around us thinks of Christianity, they think of, man, that's what it means to be joyful. You see, I want you to hear this today. Criticism, anger, and unrelenting seriousness aren't spiritual gifts. They are symptoms of a joyless life. And, and this, this describes a lot of Christians because we feel like, oh, it's so spiritual for me to be a cynic, for me to be angry at everything, for me to be always serious. Like, for a lot of Christians, this is what it means to be spiritual. But I want you to hear this. The cynical life is the shallow life. The serious life, when you're always serious, that is the shallow life. The angry life is the shallow life. Now, before we get talking too much about joy, I have to kind of enter in briefly to the joy versus happiness debate because that's a thing, right? Uh, in fact, I remember at one point a lady came up to me and after a church service, she goes, Pastor Brian, God doesn't want to make us happy. He wants to make us holy, right? And I was like, I bet you're a lot fun um, at parties, right? Like, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's it's, not, it's not that it's not true. God does want to make us holy, but we have sort of this like negative reaction to the word happiness and here's why because as christians we know that life is life is hard sometimes and we think there's sort of this like pollyanna butterflies and rainbows view of of life that's out there we want to admit and acknowledge that man sometimes it is hard and sometimes we're we're frustrated and sometimes uh, things are just a, a deep deep struggle and so then we go well god doesn't want us to be happy he just wants us 
to be holy. But here's what I would say is that while joy isn't only happiness, it's also not absent from happiness. Happiness isn't the purpose of your life, and it's not the only thing to be after. But I want you to know this. When you're full of the joy of the Lord, there will be happiness in your life. And it's not every moment. It's not everything. But it is important, and it's a part of joy. I love how the Bible Project describes joy. I thought this was a great definition. They say biblical joy is more than a happy feeling. It's a lasting emotion that comes from the choice, listen to this, to trust that God will fulfill his promises. So so that's really where joy is rooted, is in the trust that God will fulfill his promises. So so I, I wonder for you, if you think about the absence of joy, like what, what would describe the absence of joy? It's not just joylessness. I believe that it's hopelessness. That, that's when you've really lost your joy. When you're like, man, I, I, I don't have any joy in my life. Normally that means that we have lost trust that God will fulfill his promises. Where right now are you lacking trust that God will fulfill his promises? Where are you wondering if God has forgotten you or isn't power, powerful enough to make a difference in that part of your life? And I want to make a statement here that uh, it, it may challenge some of you, especially if you're new to church or not a Christian yet, but I think, I think we need to say this because this is so important when it comes to joy, that without Jesus, you will never find true joy. Like without Jesus, Jesus is the root of all true joy. Now you can have joyful moments, I'm not saying that. Like, certainly you can have a great steak from the double muskie and not love Jesus, and you can love that steak, that's fine. You can have a moment of joy, Right? You, you, can, you can have a, a great wedding and enjoy this marriage with your spouse and, and have moments of joy, but there is no lasting true joy without Jesus because it's always leaking out. It's always leaking out based on our circumstances, based on the people around us, right? You know anybody that kind of steals your joy, right? I mean, that, that can happen. And so most people, most people want to be more joyful. Most people want to be more joyful, but they just don't really know how to experience it. What are the things that are stealing your joy? Maybe you were out Christmas shopping this week and you're having a great day and you're listening to Mariah Carey on the radio and then somebody cuts you off and steals your parking spot and they just stole your joy. Maybe you're having a productive day at work and then a coworker came in and they blamed you for something you didn't do and then all of a sudden they stole your joy or maybe you were having a gr- in, a, in a great mood one day and you get a call from your wife and there's water dripping from the ceiling, right? Because we're having these weird uh, thaws and freezes and, and all of a sudden something has stolen your joy. I was thinking about this this week. Can, can anything really steal the joy of somebody who loves Jesus? And I actually think that it can't. I, I don't think something can steal your joy, but I think you can give it away. I think you can give something the power that, that it shouldn't have to, to steal your joy. I'll tell you this, whatever you depend on for love and hope will determine the level of your joy. What is it that you depend on for love? What is it that you look to give you a sense of love? That will determine the level of your joy. What is it that you look to for hope right now? What are you putting your hope in? Is it the people around you? Is it our government? Good luck with that. What, what is it that you put your hope in? Whatever that is will determine the level of your joy, and if it's not Jesus, it will always be fleeting. Because we need a firm, secure foundation for our joy. I'll tell you what, this often is what ruins good things in our lives. Is we take something that God has given us as a gift and we turn it into a God. We turn it into something that we depend on for joy and it will destroy it. Like, if you depend on your husband for joy, you will destroy your marriage. 
If you depend on your wife for joy, you will destroy your marriage. It's too much pressure. No human being can give that to us. If you depend on your career for joy, it will destroy your career. We will destroy the good things God gave us and end up resenting those things if we depend on them for joy. Only Jesus is enough to give us joy. Only Jesus is enough to be the foundation for that part of our lives. 1 Peter 1.3 says this. I love this. I love this. It says, Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, listen to this, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's good news right there. That's good news. I love that it starts off with worship. Praise be to God, right? It starts off with just joyful worship. Praise be to God. Why? Because he's, in his mercy, given us new birth. This is what baptism is a representation of, is this, that, that, that the old us is, is dead. We have ba- been buried with Christ Jesus, and we are resurrected with Jesus. We're, we're a, a new birth, and then we're, we're birthed into a living hope. A living hope. You see, Jesus is a living hope. Jesus is a living hope. Jesus makes your heart new. He sets your eyes not on this earthly kingdom, but on the kingdom of God. The resurrection of Jesus is promised to us. We become his children, which means that we get this inheritance, that this eternal life with him, it it, it can't be taken from us. It doesn't change when the relationship's not going so well, or the job's not going so well, or our finances aren't going so well. It doesn't get changed by the weather, right? It doesn't get changed by difficulty. It's a living hope. But all the world seems to offer us is this. It's a dying hope. It's a hope that perishes, spoils, and fades. Have you noticed that? The things that you tend to try to get joy from, they just end up perishing, spoiling, fading. This is really what it means to try to pursue joy without Jesus. It's just this never-ending thirst for something that you can't ever be satisfied by. It's a dying hope. We need a joy that's secure. We need a joy that never spoils perishes or fades, and that's the living hope that's in Jesus. What I love about children is uh, children seem to have a a high capacity for joy, don't they? I I feel like God gave us kids because he knew that we'd need a reminder of joy. I mean, I just feel like that's true in my life. You know, you get busy, you start kind of running through life, and then there's a child now, and they just have such a capacity for joy. There's this guy named G.K. Chesterton. He says this. He says, "Because, because children have an abounding vitality, Because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. Isn't that true of children? They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every morning, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. Wow. Like, what if, what if God is just taking joy in this world all the time? 
What if, there's all, what if joy is a, is a constant part of who God is? I believe that's the case. And what if the deepest, most spiritual thing that you can ever do to look more like God is to live a life of joy? You see, I think a lot of people have, in the church have really kind of minimized joy because of our problems. And once again, to have joy isn't the absence of problems, it's the presence of hope. Does that make sense? It's not the absence of issues. We all have issues. We all have problems and things that want to stress us out right now, but it's the presence of the living hope of Jesus that can give us joy. Man, and it's, it's, it's probably deeper than we think. This, this pursuit of hope and this drive towards hope, I believe it's something we're called to do. I believe it's something that we need to spend energy on and asking ourselves a question, am I a joyful person? Like, what if, what if to be joyless is actually sinful? I want you to think about that. Because our goal is to be like Jesus. It's to be, to be as much like Jesus as possible. And Jesus was familiar with suffering, but he also carried around joy with him everywhere he went. I actually believe that if you don't live a life of joy, that you can't look like Jesus. And what's interesting is, like, this is not something we take seriously in the church. Uh, you know, we have much more serious things to argue about, right? Right, like sanctification and transubstantiation and whatever, whatever Asian you want to argue about. Like, we want to argue about our theological terms, but we don't, we don't really take joy that seriously. And I, I wonder, uh, has a pastor ever been kicked out of ministry because he didn't have enough joy? Can you imagine that? Imagine I get sat down by the elders one day. Pastor Brian, we got to talk to you. We've heard some accusations. We take them very seriously. We need to talk to you about your job. And I walk in and they're like, Pastor Brian, we need to confront you today. You don't have enough joy. That sounds ridiculous, right? Oh, there are bigger problems in the church today than joy. But once again, what if being confident in the hope of Jesus, what if the living hope of Jesus flowing in and through your life in a joyful way is actually the root of most of our problems? And what if we live that joy every single day? I think that's the invitation that we have. As we walk through the next few weeks, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you want to open up your Bibles to Luke 2, I want to touch on just a a, a quick little snippet of it. And we're going to walk through it just verse by verse over the next few weeks. This is a moment where a group of really unsuspecting people are confronted with what the Bible calls good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. And this is what Christmas is really all about. It's about good news of great joy. It says Luke this in Luke 2, verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. It's interesting. Um, I don't know. Does anybody have a nativity scene in your house? Raise your hand if you have a nativity scene. Okay. Uh, did you have the one with, like, the tails broken off of the donkey? And, like, that's what we have. Like, the shepherd's crook is, like, broken. And, you know, like, we're missing a couple characters. That's just kind of how it works out. But interesting, if you look at the shepherds, in most nativity scenes, they look like they're in their 60s, right? They look like very old men. But um, if you look back in the first century, shepherds were likely children. So we should change our nativity scenes, right? They were likely children to young teenagers. And here, these, here were these children to young teenagers that were hanging out in a field with a bunch of sheep. And this was their life. What a joyful life, right? Hanging out in a field with a bunch of sheep for most of the year. Actually, they were, they were actually spending most of the year in the desert. And then during certain times of the year, they would move into an area where there were these, these fields, a specific area around Jerusalem and around Bethlehem. And so what, 
uh, if, if you look at a map, you can actually see this today. There are places called the Shepherd's Fields. And it's likely that this was the place where the angel confronted these shepherds. And one thing you need to know about them, and this is often talked about with the shepherds, is that they were dirty, right? They were like, if you've ever met a farmer who's been mucking out stalls, they're not that clean. And these people lived with these dirty animals. They were not just physically dirty, but societally they were, they were dirty. Like they were the lowliest people in society. Like they, 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 weren't, they, they weren't able to make uh, sacrifices at the temple. Uh, if they wanted to speak up in a court of law, like their testimony wouldn't be able to stand. Like they were rejects from society. It says they were keeping watch. They were on security duty, looking for anything that would come and, and, and come after their lambs. And one thing we need to know is that these were probably the last people that anyone would have expected to hear of the coming of the Messiah. It's interesting. I, you have to stop and acknowledge this reality that the good news has always been for the outcast. The good news has always been for the least likely person in the room. If you're here today and you're like, man, I don't know if I fit in with all these, these, these happy, shiny, churchy people, just know this, like, we're, we're in the church because we're admitting that we need help. We're in the church because we're admitting that we need grace. That's why we're here. The good news has always been for the outcast, the unlikely, the doubter, and the unclean. I love what 1 Corinthians 1 says. It says, isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That's some good scripture right there, right? Like, isn't it obvious? Isn't it beautiful how God always chooses the most unlikely person in the room to shame the person who thinks they've got it all together, right? The somebodies, the religious people. Honestly, this, is, this happens so often is that God loves to use people that are unlikely to remind us of all of the different misperceptions we have about how God works, right? He often runs to the lowly, to the broken, and to the hurting. And oftentimes, I'll tell you what, those are the people that are singing loudest in the room during worship. Those are the people that are, man, like, like we're standing there, hands, you know, okay, yep, Jesus loves me. I've been in the church for my whole life. Yep, I get it. Grace of God, that's great. But then somebody, you ever catch somebody's eye and they're just like, hallelujah, you know, and you're like, oh, they've been saved from something. Like, I don't know what's going on in their life, but there's something. This is just kind of a side note. We're so excited about um, this forged men gathering night that we've been putting together and uh, it's become something so much bigger than I thought it would become and that's happening this Monday but the last time we got together with the men I'm telling you what it was it was like man deafening in this room the men in this room just screaming praise to God and I'll tell you what some of them I know their stories some of the most unlikely men with their hands lifted high screaming praise to God why because they've been saved from something and they know it and I wonder for you, have you forgotten what you've been saved from? That'll give you joy on a Sunday morning. Some, so you just need to remember what you've been saved from. And these shepherds, man, they were, they were the most unlikely people. And in, in verse 9, it says, the glory of the Lord shone. And I just, I, I was reflecting this week on that question. What is the glory of God? You ever seen the glory of God? Some of y'all are like, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I've seen the glory of God. What is the glory of God. The Greek word for glory is doxa, um, which I'm not showing off my Greek. I know very little Greek, but I, I did look it up this week. Doxa, meaning honor, renown, and splendor. But what is the glory of God? What did they actually see? What did the shepherds actually see when they saw the glory of God? In Isaiah 6-3, there's this vision of angels 
They're standing in the presence of God, covering their faces, screaming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. It's interesting. The angels don't say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His holiness. They talk about His glory. You see, the holiness of God is what leads to the glory of God. The holiness of God is how separate He is. He's different than you and me. He's greater than us. He's more powerful than us. You know, God is so different. And when you're confronted with the differentness of God, what you're seeing is the glory of God in that moment. John Piper says this. He says, The glory of God is the manifest beauty of His holiness. It is the going public of His holiness. You ever had a moment where you just, you just had to say, God is so good? You ever just, man, you've just been overwhelmed with how good God is to your family? Man, something was, was just headed for disaster, and then at the last second, it shifted, and you were just like, God is so good. When, you, when you're confronted with that moment, and you feel small, right? You're like, well, I can't believe God thought of me. I can't believe he noticed me. I can't believe he, he was willing to, to come into my life and make a difference that way. When you feel so small because you're confronted with the holiness of God, what you're interacting with is a moment of glory. Like you're actually, when you're like, man, God is so good, it's a moment of his glory. And so I want you to see how this all works out. So God is holy. He's separate. He's different. That's what holiness is. It's different. It's separate, right? You and I are called to be holy like he is holy, which is to be separate in the world. And his holiness is visible in his glory. When you see his glory, you're seeing his Holiness. And when you're confronted by the glory of God, what starts to fill your heart is hope. It's hope. You're like, man, if God is that big and if he's that good, maybe he's going to take care of me. If God is that good and maybe he's that big, maybe he's going to take care of the world. If God is that good, maybe, maybe he's that big, maybe one day every tear will be wiped from every eye in this world and every, every broken thing will be made new and, and your heart starts being filled with hope and then all of a sudden what do you feel? Joy. Joy. Holiness needs, leads to glory. Glory leads to hope, and hope leads to joy. So when you've been confronted by that glory that leads to hope, that fills you with joy, what happens is, it, as a Christian, it's our job to show people how much better Jesus is than anything they've tried to find hope in or to find joy in. We have a living hope. A hope that is firm and secure, that isn't stolen by our circumstances. And so it is our job to show people that joy. And I, I want you to consider, when people think of you, do they think of joy? I, I was convicted by this this week. And I want you to hear me on this. Nobody's coming to Jesus because Christians are so angry. Does this make sense? Like, nobody's like, I want to come to ACF Church because Christians are so serious and so angry and so cynical. I want to be a part of that. But I promise you this, people will want to find out about Jesus because you are so joyful. There's some of you in this room today that should have no joy in your life because of what you're going through, and yet you do. And, and I'm not just talking about like, it's a, it's a sad joy, but it's a joy. Like, you laugh a little sometimes. You even have a little skip in your step sometimes. And there's physical things going on and spiritual things going on and stuff coming against you and everything from the outside says you should have no joy, but you do. That's compelling to a lost and dying world. That's something we want to hear more about. Continues forward in this story. It says, it says they were terrified. 
When you're confronted with the glory of God, you really have two options, joy or terror, okay? Joy or terror. And for most of us, when you're confronted with the glory of God, it starts with terror, and that's okay. There will be a moment where you encounter the differentness, the holiness of God, and you realize how different you are from that God. And if it doesn't put you to your knees and on your face, then you, you don't really understand who you're dealing with. You've never really seen who God is because he is different and he is unapproachable without Jesus. And so when you're confronted with that, there, there can be this terror. And, and this is what they have. They have this, this fear, this terror. And I think, I think this is a good thing. I think it's an important thing that, that there's some fear in our hearts as we start to approach God. I believe that we should have fear because a God that isn't worthy of our fear is a God that's not worthy of our trust. If he's not big enough to cause you a little fear, then you shouldn't trust him with your life. He's not big enough to deal with your problems. And so there is a certain fear, a certain honor and reverence of that God that we need, but that fear and reverence can also be intimacy through the blood of Jesus. And this is what Christ does, is he allows us to approach this holy God, right? Because when God sees us, he no longer sees our sin. He sees Jesus. And now we can approach the throne of that of that holy God, and you see this moment where the shepherds are confronted with the glory of God, and there's, there's fear, and it's a right fear. But what you're going to see over the next few weeks is that there's a joy in this moment, because the good news that they're about to hear about is a good news of great joy. And I want you to just consider asking yourself a few questions here about the joy of God. If you're a Christian in the room, I want to ask you this, are you living a life of joy right now? Uh, do, do people see joy in your life? Is the good news welling up inside of you with joy? Or have your circumstances gotten the best of you? Have you started to wonder if God is a living hope? If, if God will come through? If God will actually provide? Remember, I want to say this again. Whatever you depend on for love and hope will determine the level of your joy. If you depend on anything in this world other than Jesus for love and hope, you will have a joy that perishes and fades. But the hope of Jesus will never perish, will never fade, and will give you a lasting joy. If you're new to church, if you're not a Christian, and you're just kind of checking this stuff out today, I want to ask you, what do you put your hope in? What is it that you're trusting in to give you a sense of joy in your life? Have you noticed that it's spoiling and fading? I'll tell you, I'll be honest, I have struggled with joy before. And I know some of you are like, man, this sounds like the most insane message for where you're at in life. Maybe you've even thought, Brian, is it even appropriate to talk about joy under these circumstances, right? I mean, have you ever run into somebody who's like inappropriately joyful? Where it's in a situation where you're thinking, man, there's no reason there should be joy. And it almost seems irreverent that they're so joyful. But this is the life of somebody who has the living hope of Jesus. Is sometimes we are inappropriately joyful, right? Like your situation right now probably looks like there should be no joy. And in fact, you might think it's wrong to talk about joy in your situation, but I just want you to know once again, the holiness of of God leads to the glory of God, which leads to the hope of God, which leads to the joy of God. And and, and when when you walk that road, you will have joy no matter what situation. Just walk through the scriptures. What you'll see is some of some of God's people that he's used, the men and women, the matriarchs and patriarchs of our faith, went through the most horrific situations, and oftentimes they were the most joyful. In those situations, 
The people closest to suffering, closest to pain, often were the most joyful people. I love Psalm 118. It says this, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That's a decision, right? So joy isn't just something you sit around and hope for. It's a decision that you make. Does that make sense? That's the word rejoice. It's a verb. You can actually go rejoice in your God, which means, listen to this, simply by being alive, you have a reason for joy. You woke up today, you've got a reason for joy. You've got breath in your lungs, you have a reason for joy. There's only six hours of daylight in Alaska, but you have a reason for joy. The roads are covered in ice, but you have a reason for joy, right? Your bank account is low and your anxiety is high, but you have a reason for joy because you have salvation in Jesus and a promise of everlasting life with him. Amen? You have a reason for joy. Yeah. I hope you feel it. I hope you feel it. Because it's real. And it doesn't make sense. And when, when my marriage was, was, was really crumbling, it was real. And I didn't feel a lot of joy. But it was there. It was there. When I lost a job, I felt like, man, I, I wasn't sure what I, my future was going to look like. I, 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 I didn't feel joy in that moment, but it was there. Man, when, when we've been in, in the hospital and medical bills racking up, man, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel joy in that moment, but it was there. It, it's not going to feel like happiness in the moment oftentimes, but it's going to be real and it's going to be there because it's grounded in something deeper than your circumstances. It's grounded in the living hope of Jesus. Will you choose joy today? The first step for that is to, is to choose Jesus. Like if you, if you haven't chosen Jesus, if you haven't chosen to, to put your hope in him, if your hope is still in yourself, that's your options, by the way. Your hope's either in Jesus or you. If it's in you, how's that going for you? Your hope is either in Jesus or it's in you. If you choose to put your hope in yourself, you will always have a fading, spoiling hope. But if you choose to put your hope in Jesus, it will never fade. This is so true. Everyone who finds Christ finds joy. Maybe you can't think of the last time you experienced joy, but if you put your hope in Jesus, you will experience it. Because when you are confronted with the goodness of God, when you realize how sinful you are, how different and not holy you are, and you're confronted with the holiness of God, and then Jesus comes in and covers your sin, and you remember what you've been saved from, you're going to be filled with joy. Everyone who finds Christ finds joy joy. So that's my invitation to you today. Would you put your hope in Jesus? A living hope, a lasting hope. Would you make that choice today? If, you, if you've been putting this off for months, today can be your day where you step into the family of God. You become part of the family. I mean, you can be part of this community, but when you become a Christian, you become part of the family. We want to invite you to be part of the family today. So would you consider doing that? If you're here today in you're like, yeah, Brian, my hope is in Jesus, but I, honestly, I've kind of forgotten. I've forgotten how big he is, how holy he is, how, how good he is. Maybe today you just need to make that decision to wake up every day and choose your joy. Henry Nouwen says this. He says, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. We have to do it. Maybe every day you need to wake up in the morning because you know that something's going to try to steal your joy. 
You have to start off the day by choosing to have joy in Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you haven't been baptized. And I want to encourage you that this is a part of you experiencing your joy. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about this reality that he says that joy isn't complete until it's shared. Which I think is a, is a very profound reality. It's why when you go to a great restaurant, what do you do? You call your friend and you're like, have you had the burgers at this place? Or when you watch a great movie, what do you do? You go to work the next day and you're like, guys, have you seen this movie? When we experience something that gives us joy, the most natural thing inside of us is to share it. And the reason is because your joy isn't complete until it's shared. If you want to complete your joy today, I want to encourage you, get baptized. Share it with the people around you. What you'll find is God's going to use that in ways you could have never imagined. So I want to encourage you to do that if you've never been baptized. Or maybe you're baptized as an infant and you didn't make that decision for yourself and you'd like to make that choice today, we would encourage you to do that as well. But wherever you're at, don't leave here without taking that next step. Would you stand up? I want to pray for you. Jesus, thank you for being a God of hope, a living hope, a different kind of hope than what we experience in this world. Father, we, uh, we ask that you'd forgive us for not living with joy. Uh, because we know what that means is that we are not living in your hope. God, we're not, we're not sure we can trust you. Which means that we are not seeing your glory, which we're not, means we're not acknowledging your holiness. And so God, I pray that today you just forgive us for not living in the joy of our own salvation. And if you're here in the room today and you just need to take that step put your hope in Jesus, just pray with me. God, I, I, I have I've tried to put my hope in myself, and it always spoils and fades. But Father, today I want to put my hope in you. God, would you, would you take my heart? Would you make it new? God, I pray that I could be raised up into a new life, a resurrected life, a, a life of living hope. God, that I could have peace, that I could have joy. I put my trust in you to save me. I put my, my hope in you for life everlasting, God, and I invite you into my life, God, that salvation wouldn't be something simply for the future, it would be something for today. God, that you change me now. God, we love you, we thank you for this moment that we have together. I pray this Christmas season we'd be a people of joy, and that many people would be drawn to you through that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.